First Corinthians 1, 28 will be the uh, focus. We're going to talk about despised things today. Despised things. I start with verse 27. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not. So that he might nullify the things that are. We are studying the tools in God's toolbox. And today we're going to talk about a despised tool. Now I've seen over the years some very ugly tools in toolboxes. Things I can't even imagine. Although I've seen uglier tools in the dentist office. We're going to talk about despised tools today. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might help us. We have your word in front of us as our privilege is. Your spirit is at work within us. What a joy to know that. And I pray that our hearts and our minds, our very selves, will be submitted to you, that you might do your work and change us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Despised. What a word. <laughs> in Latin, contemptibilia. There's all kinds of interesting words here. English, we use the word contemptible. Uh, it means to treat with contempt. It means to scorn. It means to disdain. To have the lowest opinion of something. We uh, use it in a lot of different ways. If we threw it out as an adjective, we'd use the word despicable to describe this. And what I find very interesting is it's something you look down on. You look down on it. And to some degree, the definition goes this way. It may be or deserves to be despised. And maybe, or deserves to be despised. And you can apply that to things, or you can apply that to people. It comes down, your opinion is, it's worthless. Worthless, despised. It's not a very nice word, is it? That's just the English way of saying things. The Greek way is much more interesting. Actually, it gets even more extreme than what you might think. There's two words. It's ek is one word, and udes is the other. Ek means out of or from, and usually intensifies, and udes means nothing. And what you actually do with this word, ek udes, is that you make it utterly nothing. That's what you use this word for, to make it utterly, utterly nothing. That, that shows you despise it. Good illustration for you. You go home after the service today, or for some of you, there's a little bit of a luncheon to follow, and you go home after that. You walk into your front door. There on the floor is the ugliest bug you have ever seen in your life. Now, there are some bugs in Oklahoma I've never seen in Indiana. Some things that I've never seen in my life, and some of them are not very pretty. Maybe it's not even a bug you see on the floor. You don't know what it is. But there it sits, looking at you. It's huge. It's disgusting. It's got these eyes, and it's looking right at you, and it looks kind of hairy. And it's got this trail of slime behind it. And it's breathing heavy. What do you do? Ek udes. 
make it nothing. Right? Now you got the picture of the word. Something has, has so much disgusted you, you want it extinct. You step on it hard enough to destroy generations that would come from that bug. You just want to get rid of it. It's no more despised. Got a picture of the word now? It's pretty intense, isn't it? That's the word we're looking at today. The Corinthians took inventory of their church. If you kind of read through the, the way that uh, Paul addresses these folks, they, they had this opinion. They had the winning team. <laughs> you know, they were pretty impressed with themselves. Very proud of what they were. Uh, we've got some wise men on our team, they would say. We've got some strong men on our team. We've got some men with name brands. They're nobility. We have them on our team. And of course, these are the kind of folks that God would want on his team too. Uh, this church project is going to succeed because we are part of it. As significant individuals. And then there are others. Others you wouldn't want on your team. Others that you see no success with them. They are the morons. Say, what's that from? The foolish things. They are the, the puny. The weak things. They are the nobodies. No brand name. They're the base things. They're not the people you boast about. They're not the tools that you set out front. You don't send them out to starters on the team. Matter of fact, you prefer to put them in the back of the team when they get pictures taken. You don't even let them hold the trophy at times. You win one. The Corinthians, you see, had a way of showing who they thought were worthy individuals. And they lived by that. In chapter 1, you hear in verse number 12, it says, Now, I mean this, that each of you are saying, I'm a Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. They had divided up into various camps. They each wore their, their team logo, if you will. I'm Paul's team, I'm Apollos' team. You know, Paul would be a great guy to have for the leader of the team, wouldn't he? Who's Paul? Well, he's the founder of this church, so to speak. He's the one who, uh, well, things may not always go easy and smooth with us, but he's fiery. He's more like a sledgehammer at times. But he loves us, and he's going to make his point, and he cares, and he knows what's right. And I think Paul would be a great leader for a team, don't you? Corinthians thought so. And they divided up with the Paul team. And then there's the Apollos group. And they said, wow, he's a, he's a speaker with a golden tongue. He, he's eloquent. He knows the scripture. He's bold with it even. He needed a little instruction, of course. And, and once we got that right, he's very precise. He's unflinching. He's like that sharp blade that always cuts the perfect cut. Nice and clean. We ought to make Apollos a leader. And so a group of them did. Peter. <laughs> we have a lot to say about Peter. That's his other name is Cephas. He's a man, he was fearless. Some say foolish. He was fearless. Quick to say what was on his mind. Stood up to the religious leaders. Was the first to be arrested for the faith. 
First to receive the Samaritans into the church. First to receive the Gentiles into the church. Jesus said he would have a prominent place in the church. It was like he's a master key. Everything that he went, he unlocked and opened up. We ought to make Peter the leader of a team. So they did. Christ. (laughs) How do you compare with that name? They said, well, of course he ought to be. Where would the church be without him? Wouldn't even exist, would it? We wouldn't have a Peter, we wouldn't have a Paul, we wouldn't even have an Apollos to talk about. Since we owe everything to Christ, we certainly ought to put him as leader, right? So another group made a team. They named it according to Christ. Let's add a fifth one. You didn't see that fifth one in verse 12, did you? Because they didn't want this team. You'll find something very interesting said toward the end of this book, but I'm going to suggest a name that might even surprise you, especially what the Corinthians thought. Somebody might suggest, hey, let's make Timothy one of our leaders. You've heard that name before, haven't you? Certainly seen two books of the New Testament have his name on it. He's a significant man. But not to the Corinthians. Say, huh? Well, this is what Paul said in chapter 16, verse 10 and 11. Chapter 16, 10 and 11. Very interesting words here. He says, now if Timothy comes... See that he is with you. See, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I am also. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. These are two commands, by the way, concerning Timothy. When he comes, don't make him afraid. Paul says. When he comes, don't despise him. Why do you think that command is necessary? Could it really be that somebody would despise Timothy? I mean, Timothy. Yeah, he's said to be kind of timid. After all, you can make him afraid. Uh, Whatever his gift was, maybe he was a little unsure how to use it. That's not who they usually set up as their leaders, right? Uh, He's very conscious of his age, by the way. He had to be told on several occasions, yeah, he's young, and don't let people look down on you because of your youth. Maybe he doesn't know much about running the church. After all, if you've read the letters Paul wrote to Timothy, he gives him step-by-step instruction on things that should be very simple to do. So maybe he just doesn't know how to do it very well, and... He's been Paul's sidekick all along, and, you know, when we need superheroes, we don't call for Robin, we want Batman. Right? The sidekick. What do you do with a sidekick? Well, he's always there, but more than anything, we see him just taking messages back and forth for Paul. Besides this, he comes from a family that's part Jew and part Gentile. He was raised by his mother and his grandmother. And he's from Lystra. Mm. What do you mean by that? Lystra. It was known as a wild district and a people that were rude. They were full of ignorance. 
they were superstitious. When Paul and Barnabas first came to that town, they thought Paul was Mercury and Barnabas was Jupiter. They started to worship them. They found out later that they weren't gods at all. And when the Jews came in and stoned them, they kind of helped. Not a nice greeting. This man came from Lystra. You think that's going to impress a Corinthian? He's, he's rude. He, he comes from rude people, ignorant people, superstitious people. Now, Paul says, treat him nice. Don't make him get afraid. Let him serve. Let him serve among you. Now, our Corinthians have been picking through the toolbox. They've been deciding uh, uh, on their opinion who's capable of ministry and who's not. In other words, what I consider valuable and what I consider worthless, despised. They've been picking through it, determining who it is. If you lined up a whole string of Timothys in front of them, they would have rejected everyone. That's not their kind of leader. There's a tool that I wish I could show you this morning. It's not in my toolbox. It's not anymore. When I was in high school, I took a shop class. We worked with wood for a while, and I made a crooked bookcase. And then we worked with metal. And then we worked with plastic. And I thought I'd combine both of those into one project, and I made a screwdriver. I took the uh, sheets of plastic, there was some black and there was some white, and I just kind of stacked them on top of each other, not one more than an eighth of an inch thick, but kept adding them up, glued them together, made this small rectangular box out of it, and I don't know, about four inches long, I think, and, and then I cut the width and the sides, and also it felt like a handle. Then I took it over and started to polish that thing. Just shine it up and, and, and all. And it was, it was a beautiful handle. You can almost picture it, can't you? Striped black and white plastic, shiny as can be. I spent a lot of time polishing that thing. It looked sharp. Then I took the metal. They gave me this, this rod and I put it in the, the vise and I started grinding away at it to make a blade for my screwdriver. It was going to be a flat one. I didn't know how to do that Phillips thing. So I was working with a flat blade here so I can make it real pretty and I added that to the screwdriver by drilling a hole into the handle and applying the glue and putting that handle in and there it was. Homemade screwdriver. I was pretty impressed with it. I liked it. I put it in my toolbox. I never used it because I didn't want to get it dirty. One day came and I wasn't even thinking. It was a screw that I needed to do and I grabbed that screwdriver and I went and started to turn and the screw wasn't turning but something was. Here's my handle. Round and round and round the handle went around that, the shaft of that blade. And I was really disturbed. It bothered me. I, I, I just disgusted with it. I put it back in the box. I don't know how much time went by until I realized that screwdriver wasn't going to turn a screw, but it probably could pry the lid off a can. 
So I had a paint can there, and I got my screwdriver, and I put it in there, and something bent. Now, when the metal of your blade is softer than the metal of the lid of the can, which do you think is bending first? I now had a very unique looking screwdriver. It had this handle that spins, and it goes up, and it comes right back down. Not too many screws like that. Et udes. I threw it out. It had no sentimental purpose. It was good for nothing. I can't even show it to you today. Because I got rid of it so thoroughly. Ek udes. Now, I really don't mind doing that with screwdrivers or with bugs. I don't mind getting things gone. But you know what? It's far too often that churches do that with people, right? Maybe their handle spins and they accomplish nothing. Maybe they bend in half every time you need them to stand firm and succeed. We look at them like these tools that uh, we despise. We may judge them by their looks. We may judge them by their location, where they came from. We may judge them by their demeanor. We may judge them by their skill level. We may judge them by their education. We may judge them by their resources. Sometimes even by their family name. But we tend to do that from time to time, don't we? When we were ministering in a small town in Indiana, there was a neighboring town near us that uh, was known for trouble. Literally, it was trouble. The only time they were ever in the paper was because there was trouble in that town. You wouldn't want to be from that town. Really, you don't even want to visit that town. During VBS one year, I was driving the church van, and a little girl needed a ride home, and guess where she was from? That town. So I drove her home, led her off in front of a house, returned back to the church, and was told who she was. She was staying with her grandparents. Uh, My guess was that her father was momentarily detained in the correctional institution. Her father had been there many times before. They were the ones we found in the paper often. Frequently arrested for physical assault and was the leader of the Indiana chapter of the KKK. I said, ooh. That little girl came to VBS all that week. We didn't get any opportunity to minister to her or her family after that. I always wondered what became of her. Kind of a strange way to end a story, isn't it? I always wondered what became of her. If she was going to be judged by her family, by her town, by the history of those folks. I don't know what little influence we might have had with her for the few times we had her in the church. I do know that she had a little influence with me because I've thought about this over the years, how she's taught me about ministry to even the least of these. Even to the least of these. You see, when God reaches into a toolbox, 
we tend to think that he's aiming for a certain kind of tools, right? He's got a, a special list that he's looking for. And what we see in this passage in 1 Corinthians is God himself chooses for himself the despised. Does that surprise us? He reaches down and he pulls up the despised that everyone else's ek-udes, emphasis on the ooh. God chooses them. God chooses them. I stop and I think about that, and, and personally, it, it well, it, it reflects on me in such a way I don't like to tell the truth. Let me tell you first why I think he likes to choose those tools. The despised. See, the despised are those that the world has given up on. God's not like that, is he? Aren't you glad for that? He does not give up on us. I think that's one of the reasons why he likes to choose them. Some people say, well, he likes to root for the underdog. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do with, with those that nobody else wants? God chooses the despised. I need to hear that, don't you? You see, from the world's position... The, the despised can do nothing in ministry. They, the world thinks they, they don't have a name, they don't have any strength, they don't have any wisdom. You know, the list goes on and on of what the world says they don't have. They don't even have expectations that anything good could come from that one who is despised. God chooses that one. The text says so, doesn't it? God has chosen the despised. See, I do know this, that God doesn't choose us based on what great things we bring to the project. He wants His ministry to have His name on it. He wants His ministry to be accomplished by His wisdom, right? He wants His ministry to be accomplished through His strength, right? The despised have none of these. God chooses them. So that when he's through, you know who gets the glory, right? He does. Because what else do you expect of the despised? At times I wonder, folks, if this might be the easiest tool for him to work with. So often we consider it probably the hardest thing to have to figure out. What do you do with the despised? God knows exactly what to do with the despised. They're not seeking their own glory. They're used to getting stepped on. I wonder at times if sometimes their service might be the sweetest too. To have somebody love them and ask them to help. God knows all about the despised. So that somebody arrives in town, comes from a town known for lower class type of citizens. So that he works a simple blue collar kind of job. So that his parents uh, are held in suspicion concerning his birth. He doesn't appear to be trained in 
religious education or anything like that. He's not like one of our prominent leaders. Matter of fact, when he takes side, he tends to go after the outcasts. When you find him, he's mingling with, with those that people don't like so much. His, some of his best friends are IRS agents. Hmm. He, he, he walks down the road and there's these women of reputation. Next to him, he has uneducated friends. He's been with the worst of all of society. He's even touched those with terrible diseases. He speaks to the poor in a kind way. He causes friction between himself and, his, and the leaders of society. But his popularity grows, and so does his opposition. And eventually they see their chance, and they set about to kill him. Who have I been describing to you? The Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Look at these words with me. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised. See that? He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, says it twice, and we did not esteem him. We wouldn't even look at him. There he is as he bore our griefs, as he carried our sorrows, we looked at him like an ugly bug. We looked at him as that which figures to be eliminated from the world. He was smitten of God, and we figured he deserved it. Many times in Scripture it says, the stone which the builders rejected... God has made it the very cornerstone. All through the years, people have been despising our Savior. And what, what alarms me the most about this, and I told you it does, I'm included in that picture. That's where we were before we knew Him, right? We were among those who despised him. If we were there at that day, we would have stood among that crowd and called for his death. I know I would have been. I am mindful of the times I have despised his word, just like those people in the Old Testament did. I am mindful how I I despised the sacrifice that he has given on, on my behalf. I despised it, and I've gone on with my life living as if that meant nothing. I know the times I've despised his ministry, even despised his servants, and I'm horrified to find myself in that picture. What about you? You see, that's where we were. We were among the despisers. This chapter, we were like Corinthians. We despised, we despised, we despised. 
You say, well, that's, that's a pretty ugly thing. Yeah. But there's also something quite beautiful in all this. And I, I want to express this as I, as I saw this. God chooses those who are despised. Because they best reflect His Son. Think of it. The way they treated His Son is what he sees when he sees the despised. They are the ones who remind him of Jesus. Why do you think he chooses them out of the box? They're the ones that are going to give least resistance, perhaps. But they are the ones who are already shaped more like our Savior. Despised. A tool he likes to use. I stop and I think about that and I say, Lord, I could either be a despiser or I could be a despised one. If I'm a despiser, Lord, when I think of this, I, I might find myself that way. I sift through God's toolbox from time to time. I throw away tools that I think don't appeal to my satisfaction. I found broken tools that I thought were no good. I found weak tools, and I said, that can't help. I found unnamed tools, and I said, that's not powerful enough for me. You ever been there? You ever worked through that box and say, hey, that tool kind of disgusts me. It can't be used. I look down on it. But I think sometimes I miss out on some of the sweetest blessings when I do. I know what it's like to be among the despisers. But I want to add one thing to all this. For whom did Jesus die? Was it not for the ones who despised him and sent him to that cross? Doesn't he love you? Doesn't he love me? I am so glad for those words. Even when I consider all that I am, he says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that beautiful? He loves us. If you're a despiser this morning, and that's not a, a, a camp that contains a few, could be many of us, if we're despisers, let's step back and stop and think again how much he loves us and died for us too. Isn't that beautiful to know that our Savior died for despisers? I rejoice I don't have to be left as a despiser. God can and does change a heart. He does point uh, to the toolbox and says, you know what, I can still make you a servant. And I can still use you. He wants us to be like our Savior Jesus Christ, the epitome of a servant. He wants us to be that way. And if you're a despiser, He still can use you. He can change your heart and make you a useful tool. But I want to go to another side of this as well. Maybe you're the one who felt despised. Maybe you're the one who, who has always felt in your experience, many ways perhaps, uh, concluded that uh, nobody really wants you around. There's no place for you in the church. There's nothing you can do. God certainly doesn't have a plan for you. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you still feel that way today. I want you to take courage today. Be encouraged. 
What is the tool God's looking for in the box today? The despised ones. You despised? God's looking for you. That's a tool he likes to use. God himself chooses for himself the despised. Take take encouragement from these words. Never underestimate what God can do, do with a tool that the world throws away. Never underestimate that. When we go into prayer and talk to him about this, you know where you are this morning. You know what uh, he wants, too, don't you? Let's talk to him together. Heavenly Father, you see our hearts and you know us so well. Sometimes we're the Corinthians. We set up our own scheme of things. We look for the tools of our own choice. And we have greatly, greatly distorted the concept of ministry based on our own preferences. Lord, we've contributed to that over the years, I know. I've been a part of that. Contributed to the despisers. Contributed to leaving folks out and separating them from service because of what we saw in them. And we despise them. And Lord, we're so thankful that at your cross there's mercy for the despiser. That there we can stand before you and say how sorry we are that we have participated in in such things. Knowing full well, Lord, that we were among those who despised the Savior, first of all. It grieves our heart to think that that's what we once were. But it even might still be the case in our hearts somewhere. And we come before you because you're the only one who not only knows us thoroughly, but also loves us thoroughly. And we come before you, Lord, and ask that you might do that work in our heart to remove that from us. That we might see the despised from your eyes. And that we might learn to love them and see their value and appreciate what they contribute to your ministry. We need taught, Lord, and we come as your children and as your students and sit at your feet and ask that you might do a work in our hearts. Lord, as well, we also know what it is to be despised. Some people may even know it better that are here this morning. They've been separated and they've been stomped on and they've been excluded and they know that pain. And they know how how much they want to be a part and yet the world doesn't see value in them. I thank you, Lord, what you have said here in your word that you choose the despised. Thank you for saying that. Giving us a chance to hear that. We need to hear that. And should there be some among us today who have felt that very way, Encourage them with these words today, Lord. You, yourself, have chosen them. And what great things you do with those who submit to you. 
We have written all some away this morning from this service. Better servants now. Because of your work in our hearts. What you're changing us from, and what you're making us to be, we thank you. We do want to be that clay, as you mold us and make us after your will. Thank you for your word. May it have a powerful impact in our hearts. And may we indeed be different now because of what you've taught us. In Jesus' name, amen.